Hey, what's up? My name is Stephen, and I lead Avenue Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee, along with my wife and an incredible team. We really have a desire to see people experience God's unconditional love, find their true identity in Christ, and live out their purpose. And we would love to connect with you. You can find us on all social media platforms simply by searching Our Avenue Church. You can also check us out online by going to OurAvenueChurch.com. We really pray that something in this message inspires and equips you to experience the way of life you were created to live in Christ. Enjoy. Let's jump into the Word. New series today. Let's go. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter... Nope. I'm jumping ahead, Exodus chapter 33, go there. New series, summer's kind of getting to an end. You guys excited about that? Some of you are like, no, as a pastor, we get really excited because people start coming back to church, thank you, Jesus, (laughs) right? I was even gone a lot in the month of July, and what happens in the summertime, um, our schedules get all out of whack. You guys feel me, especially with those of you with, with kids, you try to stay disciplined, but they stay up like at the beginning of the summer, just a little bit later and then a little bit later, and then they wind up sleeping later. And if you have teenagers, like if you can get them to wake up at 12 o'clock, by, like you get them to wake up at lunch, that's a huge win, right? And then we wonder why at midnight, there's like, I'm not sleepy. It's because you slept half the day, right? And so all of our routines are off. Our disciplines are off. And what I find, even true being a pastor and in ministry for 20 years, if we're not careful, sometimes our spiritual life can start to slip. Because the rhythm of school and, and, and the, the rhythm of the fall allows us to stay in our disciplines a little bit better. Um, but the summertime is just really easy to let things slide a little bit. And as you let one thing slide, then it just becomes easier. And so I want to help us over this series kind of get back into the groove in our relationship with God. Not, not that we're all backsliders, right? Look at me. Don't look at your neighbor. Okay. Like I told you, right. But, but some of us in here may need to come back to a place to where we're walking in relationship with our creator a little bit more. And, and there's, this, there's this place I want to take you to, to where you get back, we're meeting with God face to face. And so this series is called Face to Face. And I get this from, from an interaction Moses has. And so I want to kind of reignite, re-spark our passion, maybe jumpstart. Anybody ever had a car to die because it sat too long, right? And so we're going to jumpstart our faith. Go to Exodus 33, verse 7. Exodus 33, verse 7, and it says, It was Moses' practice to take the tent of meeting and set it up some distance from the camp. And everyone who wanted to make a request of the Lord would go to the tent of meeting outside the camp. And so you, you just have to picture like, you know, a community, it's almost like this wasn't the tabernacle, but this was an, another place that they would go and meet. And if they wanted to, you know, ask the Lord something, they would go to the tent, go to Moses, and they would, they would um, seek the Lord on it. And when you read what happens, when, when Moses would go to the tent of meeting, it said that everyone would come to the doorway of their tent. 
and they would watch Moses as he's going into the tent of meeting. And it says that when he would go into the tent of meeting, it says that the presence or the cloud of, of God would hover over the entrance of the tent. And it says that the people at the doorway of their tent would kneel and bow and worship before. And then, then we see here in verse 11 what's taking place on the inside. It says, inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to what? Face. As one speaks to a friend and afterward, Moses would return to the camp, but the young man who assisted him, Joshua, son of Nun, would remind, would remain behind in the tent of meeting. Um, and so just plain and simple, Moses had a habit of meeting with God. And so something is, is taking place regularly enough that people notice. It says that he did this often. He went, side, went outside the camp and met with God, and people recognized that he would do that. But the fact is that the, the, it says that the Lord would speak to him face to face like a friend. It didn't say Moses spoke to God face to face like a friend. And that hit me, and it's like, okay, you ever have those friends that you speak, or let me back it up because you may be on this side of that's where I'm at. I'm at. Um, you're speaking to them like a friend, but they're not really reciprocating it, right? It would be different if the scripture said Moses talked to God face to face like a friend. But what's happening is, is the writer is describing God's relationship, how he feels about his relationship with Moses, that God was speaking. He was taking on the friendship mantle, so to speak, of speaking to Moses face to face. And think about those conversations you have with your best friends or with your close friends or long-term friends, how really intimate and private they can be. And we went out Friday night with, with some friends that we haven't seen in a couple of years from Jackson to Bar Taco. Anybody ever been to Bar Taco in Nashville? Why did you guys not tell me about that place? It's so... a Aaron and Jaden told me about it like a year and a half after knowing them. And it's incredible. But, but when we were sitting there with, with Brandon and Ginger's, their names, and it was like, it was as if there had never been any distance or time between us. We were sharing our struggles, we're sharing kind of some intimate moments and some intimate things. And, and that's what God not only wants us to do with him, as we speak to him as a friend face-to-face, -face, but he also wants to share his intimacies with us as a friend face-to-face. -face. And, and, and so when we see this, I want to rewind just a little bit. So we see Moses having this encounter, this um, relationship with God. But let's go to Exodus chapter 3. This is Moses' first encounter with God. Some of you guys know the story. If you've been to Sunday school or vacation Bible school or, or church at all, you have, you have heard the story of Moses and the burning bush. We're going to look at the first three verses here. This is one day, Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro. Um, he was from the south, in case you didn't know. <laughs> the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared at it in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it did not burn up. This is amazing, he thought to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go 
and see it. And so God is speaking. Moses is just on a, like just a normal routine day to where he's watching his father-in-law's sheep, you know, probably been to this area before. He's, he's deep into the wilderness and it's just a normal routine day. And God shows up. We sang about it, right? God shows up in this bush and begins to talk to Moses. And Moses, you know, is afraid and he covers his face. And, and God says, remove your sandals for this is holy ground. And it says the bush did not. So he's having an encounter with God for like the first time that we see in scripture. And they begin to have this conversation and this dialogue where, where God is informing Moses that he has heard the cries of his people who have been in captivity for 400 you know, plus years in Egypt and that he is coming to like redeem and to save and to rescue his people. And God says, Moses, you're gonna be the one to do it. And Moses is like, what are you talking about, Willis? He's like, I'm not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not your guy. Like, there's no way Pharaoh's not gonna listen to me. Like, I stutter, I, I, I don't have the influence. And this whole time, this bush is not burning up. Anybody ever like had a fire, right? You know, like the bush is gonna burn. When I was younger, um, I was playing with fire because I was a pyro as a kid, apparently. And do you guys remember those? Um, do they still make those like perfume and cologne cards that they put in magazines? Right. And so my grandmother, she would pull those out of the magazines and just like put them all over the house as like air fresheners. And, 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 and I remember taking that. I was probably five or six. And I remember taking that card and she also had a candle. But something drew me to that candle with that card. And I lit that card. I didn't know what to do with it. And so I'm in the living room. I'm like, I don't know what to do. And in my mind as a five-year-old, I didn't know necessarily that water put out a fire. So I just threw it away and closed the lid. <laughs> Guess what happened to the garbage can? <laughs> Guess what happened to the curtains? Uh, they did not burn and not burn up. They burned and burnt up, up, right? And so this bush, to picture that, this bush is burning, but it's not burning up. And so God does some things here. Moses has this burning bush experience. And you guys maybe have heard that term and this burning bush experience is where God meets us in an extraordinary way on an ordinary day. It's not on the screen. I thought of it just now, right? It's hope I can remember it for second service. It, it, write it down, Matthew. Um, where he meets us in an extraordinary way on an ordinary day. And how many of us have had those burning bush experiences? It's like you're just doing what you're supposed to do, going along, and God interrupts you in some way. And what these interruptions or, or what this um, burning bush encounter, okay, what these encounters do is encounters get our attention, because we can just be going through life, going through the routine, going to church, going to work, cooking dinner, going to bed, and it's just like we get these blinders on to where all we see is what is right in front of us, and God uses this encounter to get Moses' attention, and, and he even says this, like, I must go over and see it, and, and you know, I wasn't... Uh, 
diagnosed with ADHD as a kid, but I promise you, like, I have all the symptoms, and for me to struggle to stay focused, like, like it's hard, so I have to put on headphones, especially as I'm getting older and all this stuff, and, and, and my favorite new stuff to listen to is on, on YouTube, I found there is a, um, like, a, a, a flight sound, so you're like on the airplane and you can hear it taking off and you can hear like the hum while you're in the air and every once in a while to go ding and the lady will come over and tell you to put your seatbelts on and it's great. And so I put it on and I turn it up and, and I hear nothing, I see nothing, I'm working. And what my family has to do is they have to come and grab me to get my attention. And then I'm sucked out of that world into their world. And that's what's happening in this is, is Moses is being sucked out of the temporal into the eternal. And his attention is shifted. And this is the second thing that encounters do is encounters don't even just get our attention. They also change our perspective. Encounters change our perspective is, is we no longer see things as we once did. And for those of us who have had these encounters, I promise you something about the nature of God, you see it differently now than what you did then. Something about the goodness of God, you see differently now than what you did then prior to that burning bush encounter. And also about the holiness and the righteousness of God, we see it different. What happens is our perspective changes because of this encounter. There were things that, that, that I had an opinion of about the Holy Spirit that changed once I had an encounter with the Holy Spirit. I had an opinion before, but then I had an experience and my opinion and my perspective changed. Anyone else, right? So we have these encounters. They, they, they grab our attention. They change our perspective, but then they also do this. They change our direction. And so Moses was going in one direction, and then in verse 10, God tells Moses, he says, look, okay, you were a shepherd, but now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people, Israel, out of Egypt. So encounters change our direction. Encounters, like an encounter with the love of Christ, the love of God, change the direction of our life from a salvation repentance moment. Most of us in here, if we're walking in relationship with Jesus, we had an encounter. We were going one way with our life, doing things our way, and we had an encounter with the word of God coupled with the Holy Spirit that changed our direction away from the things that we were doing to follow God. Now, we're all at some point like, well, okay, well, okay, God, well, okay. Anybody else, right? And so we have these encounters every once in a while that refocus us. They change our direction. And so salvation-wise, but then also just like purpose and destiny-wise, we've, we've had experiences and encounters that change the direction. Maybe we changed a career. Maybe we changed a relationship. Maybe we changed where we're living in the tiniest. Maybe you changed like what you were going to name your child, right? Maybe you changed some things trajectory-wise, not just spiritually, but your life is going in a different direction because of that encounter. And so we see this in Moses. So Moses has this burning bush experience and he goes kind of um, begrudgingly to Egypt and has a conversation with the leaders of Israel and conversations with the Pharaoh of Egypt and through a process, and you can read it for yourself, he, he begins to lead the children of, of Israel out of Egypt um, into the wilderness. and It's an incredible story of redemption and rescue, but it doesn't go the way that 
It plans. No trip. No, no plan ever goes that way. And so in Exodus chapter 32, right before where we started, and it's, it's on the screen, just the reference, because I want you to, to read this whole story. Moses goes up onto the mount um, to have another encounter with God. And while he's up there, God gives him the Ten Commandments. And he's up there for a long time, like 40 days And while he's up there just having this incredible encounter with God, um, all the children of Israel are back down in the camp. And and they're like, where'd Moses go? And and they don't even say, where where did Moses go? Like like my scripture says, the New Living says, where did this fellow Moses? As if like it was just some random guy that they picked up off the street. We, We don't even know where he is. He's been gone forever. He could be dead as far as I know. And so then they go to Aaron, who is Moses's brother, the priest. And they're like, look, we don't know where he's at but we need a God to worship, like do something. And so he gathers all the gold in the camp and he puts it all together and they just throw it into the fire and they pull out a golden calf. And like, this is the God that led us out of Egypt. Some of us cook that way, right? We just take all the ingredients that's in the pantry, throw it in the oven. It's like, this is dinner, right? And so they, they, they pull out this golden calf and says, this is the the God that led us out of Egypt. And they began to worship this golden calf. And the scripture says that they, they partook in pagan revelry, which meant like they were just dancing around crazy, naked, just all kinds of crazy stuff going on. And God and Moses are up top having this conversation. And God's like, Moses, what are your people doing? And Moses is like, they're not my people, they're your people, <laughs> right? They're having this conversation. And he's like, you need to go down there and deal with it. And, and, and I love what the punishment is is they get down and Moses is like, what are you doing? And it's like a record, you know, scratch. The party stops because dad's home, right? And, and it says that, that Moses took the golden calf and he ground it up into fine powder, put it in water and made everybody drink it. Just an idea for those of you who don't know how to punish your kids. Just find something random and just make them eat it or drink it. They'll never do it again. Whatever they're doing, no, I'm just kidding. But just, just, just imagine that moment Just imagine that moment. The very people that God has called Moses to lead out of Egypt, out of slavery, are rebelling. What do you do in that conversation? Well, this is is what happens. So, So let's go to Exodus 33 now in the first part of this chapter. This is what the Lord says to Moses. Get going. You and the people you brought up from the land. See, God's saying, look, they're, they're not my people. They're your people. You brought them up. He says, go up to the land. I swore to give Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so these are the ancestors of the children of Israel. So there was Abraham who had Isaac, who had Jacob, who moved his family to Egypt that multiplied to become this great nation. And says, I told them, I told the ancestors, I will give this land to your descendants. So he says, look, I made a promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he's saying, in a moment, I'm gonna keep that promise. He says, I will send an angel before you to drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Termites. Go, just kidding. Go, it's a pastor joke. (laughs) And he says, go up to this land that flows with milk and honey. But look at this, guys. I will not travel among you for you are stubborn and a rebellious people. If I did, I would surely destroy you along the way. Basically, it's like we, we say to our kids, um, if you don't stop fighting, I'm going to turn this car around. God's like, I'm getting out. 
and you're going on without me, right? I'm going home, you're staying here, basically. He says, he says, when the people heard these stern words, they went into mourning and they stopped wearing their jewelry and fine clothing because they remembered who their God was. And let's jump to the conversation inside the tent. So this is why Moses is inside the tent because of what has just happened. In verse 14, as they're having this conversation, Moses is speaking with God face to face. The Lord replies to Moses in this. He says, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest and everything will be fine with you. We'll come back to that in a moment. It says, then Moses said, if you, don't perfect, if you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me and on me and your people if you don't go with us for your presence among us? sets your people and me apart from all the other people of the earth. I want to I land on this. This is where we're going to close. Um, I want to land on, Moses says this, for your presence among us, set your people and me apart from all the other people on the earth. Look what's happening here. God is going to continue to fulfill his promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And the children of Israel are going to get the fulfillment of that promise. They're going to get the land, but they're not going to get his presence. And Moses is saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. We don't want the land without your presence. Please do not send us into the land without your presence. We want you to go with us. And I'm going to be honest and frank, like sometimes we would be okay taking the land without God's presence. There's been times in my life where I just want God to fulfill his promises but not walk with me because when he walks with me, I get a slap on the back of the head every once in a while, right? And Moses understands the importance of God's presence walking with them. And, and, and here's what I, like, encounters are great. A lot of the trajectory of my life has changed because of encounters. At 18 years old, I went to my first youth camp and YFN, you know, seven days and bunkhouses and long days. And that's where I felt the call of God to be in ministry. I didn't know what it would look like, but I just knew I wanted to work with teenagers for all of my life so I could go to summer camp every year because it was awesome. And that was 25 years ago. Encounter that, that, that changed even. I, I wanted to be an education major so I could have my summers and weekends off to be with teenagers. Changed the trajectory of what I wanted to do. Planted a church and just last week, I got an opportunity to go back to youth camp. Spent three days with pastors and then I spent three days with teenagers. The last night of the, the pastor's conference, John Maxwell spoke. Does anybody know who John Maxwell is? One of the like greatest leadership gurus out there. I've heard him a dozen times. And if you've read one of his books, you've almost read them all. If you've heard him speak, you've almost heard him every speech he's ever given because there's a lot of the same, but this one was different. And he was talking about how you, as you grow in leadership, you get things. But as you get things, you have to create things in your life. And so one of the things that he talked about is, is um, you, you get power and you just get stuff. And what you have to work to cultivate as a leader is you have to work to cultivate gratitude as a leader. And he said this, and he said, 
to cultivate gratitude, sometimes you have to go back and do what you used to do. And he told this story and John Maxwell speaks to like some of the highest level leaders and, you know, millions of people. And his neighbor asked him to come speak at the Rotary Club just a couple of years ago where there's like 80 people. And he did it and he talked about how much gratitude because that's how he got started. And so for me, looking to getting to spend three days with 12,000 teenagers, initially, I wasn't really looking forward to it, <laughs> right? Just to be honest, because your boy ain't what he was 25 years ago. But in that moment, it was like, I'm getting to do what I used to do. And I had an encounter with God in that moment. Just, just, and, and those are great. We need encounters to make these shifts. But what we need more, because one encounter will not sustain us. We need his presence. A single encounter or an annual encounter with God will not sustain us Ladies and gentlemen, we need his presence. Moses understood that. Look, an encounter at the burning bush was great, but he understood that if we go into the promised land without you, it's not going to be good for us. And so as we're looking at this series face-to-face, and we're gonna look at some individuals that had encounters with God and how those encounters can change us, but I don't want you to miss the importance of having daily walking in his presence. Because encounter memories can fade, but his presence is new each and every single day. We can encounter his presence on a Sunday morning, on a Monday morning. His presence is with us when we acknowledge it. And so these are some things that I just see Moses doing. This is the practical side. Is is we just have to be available. We just have to be available. Create space. Create space. We had all this space in our summer but we didn't create the space that we needed to just to be in God's presence. We're all guilty of that. So where do you need to create space? Moses went outside the camp into the tent of meeting and he did this as he usually does. The scripture is like, like he did this regularly. It wasn't just a one and done kind of thing. It wasn't just a Sunday morning kind of thing. This was a regular thing that he did and he went outside the camp. He made space. He made himself available so that God could speak to him face to face. Where do you need to make yourself available? Maybe some of you need to like, like put a reoccurring event on your calendar with a reminder and then a reminder about the reminder, right? We need to create space. Are you available? Where is your space? Where is the time on the calendar? Where is your tent of meeting? And then be aware, be available, be aware. Just open our eyes and heart. We're singing a song next week. It's an old school one, but I sent it to the worship team last week while I was at camp is open the eyes of my heart, Lord. That's all the singing you're going to get from me. (laughs) Because because we see things not just with our physical eyes, but we sense things with with the eyes of our heart. Right? When, when, When we're acknowledging that God's presence is here, then we are perceptive to where he is moving and how he is moving. And could it just be the things that we take as coincidence are actually holy moments and encounters with the presence of God, but we're not aware, so we don't recognize it as that. What if we became more aware? Then we would, we would see his goodness more. We would know his goodness more. We would know his heart more. We would speak to him face to face, not just in, in simple moments. Like we, we, we are always thinking God just shows up in the big, 
but he's even more involved in the small details. But we don't recognize it unless we're aware. And this is, this is probably my, my, these are all important to me, but, and this isn't the right word, but as a pastor, it starts with an A. And I wanted all these to start with an A, but, right? Because it carries easier. You got to think that, but, but be accountable. Be accountable in the fact that I don't want you to make sure that you do what you're supposed to do. Okay, because sometimes being accountable isn't just being accountable to something. Listen to me. It's about being accountable for someone. The presence of God in your life is not just for you. It's for those around you. Moses understood that. We read at the beginning, it says, when he went to the tent of meeting and, and he left, he left someone there. And he didn't, I don't think he just left them there to, to take down after service, right? This is Joshua, son of Nun, stayed at the tent. I believe Moses, because Joshua would go on to take Moses' spot leading, Moses was teaching Joshua how to come into the presence of God. Joshua was watching someone live out and walk out interacting with God face to face. And like, I'm, that is Stephen Moore's interpretation because scripture does not say. But it says Joshua stayed behind at the tent of meeting. Parents, listen to me. Your kids are watching you. You have a responsibility for the presence of God in your life, not just the food that you put in their bellies. How you interact with God, they are watching. How you talk about the things of God, you, you will be accountable for that as well. And maybe you're like, I don't, I don't have kids. Well, you have people around you. And Moses understood this because, look, God said, I will go with you, Moses. And everything will be fine and well with you, Moses. But Moses understood that it wasn't just about him, that it was about those that was with him. And Moses said, like, like think about that. How would you respond? It's like, you hanging with a bunch of heathens, right? And, and God's like, look, I like you. We'll roll together. But everyone else, I don't know. And Moses was like, no, that's not good enough. I don't want you just for myself. He understood these people need your presence too, God. What if we had that mentality and, and were accountable to the presence of God that we have in our life, that we want other people because God's presence in our life impacts those around us. When we walk with him face to face as a friend, and that story goes on to say, Moses says, you know, okay, if this promise is true, let me see your glory. I love it. And God says, you can't look at my face so I'm going to put you in a crevice. I'll put my hand over you and I will walk past you saying my name. And when I walk past you, then you can take a peek, right? And then Moses was changed because of that. Is it always going to change and affect the people around you in the way that you want? Probably not in the timeline that we want or in the way that we want. But I promise you, your face-to-face time with God, your encounter and your walking with God's presence affects those around you. And so maybe you're here today, right? And it's like, this is all great, but I don't even know where to start. James puts it very clear. James chapter four, verse eight. It says, come close to God and he will come close to you. It's that simple. Come close to God. 
move close to God and he will move close to you. If it's one step you take, he's taken three or four. You take another step, he's taken three. He's, he's actually always walking towards you. But as you step towards him, you're getting closer as well. And so maybe that's you today and you say, I need to, I need to come close to God. I need, I need, you know, and the first part of that scripture says, surrender to God. Resist the devil and he will flee. So many times we want to get that backwards. We just want to resist the devil and not surrender. But no, in order for the devil to flee and to resist him, we first have to surrender to God. And But here's the, one of my favorite, and I'm going to close with this. Jonathan, if you want to come. It's Jeremiah 29, 12. Everyone knows Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, you know, I, I have plans for you. I hope to prosper, not to harm you. But verse 12 says that in those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. I will be found by you. And so maybe you're here today and that's you. You're looking. You're looking for the wrong thing. You're looking for peace. You're looking for presence. You're looking for things when you should be looking for someone. And that someone is Christ. And when you come into a relationship with him, it doesn't make everything better and all your problems go away, but it does make you a little stronger, does give you a little more wisdom, does give you a little more direction. The shame and the guilt is, is removed from that past sin and baggage that you're carrying around and the enemy will try to remind you of it, but remind the enemy that he's already defeated. He has no say. Shut up. <laughs> Talk to the hand. But if that's you today, I want to pray for you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, I just want to pray for you. I want to ask you just to lift up your hand. I know it's a churchy thing to do, but it really just helps me know as a pastor here who I'm praying for. And it helps you just to take that step of simply acknowledging doing things my way is not working. That I need to have an encounter with God in this moment that changes the direction of my life. And if that's you today, I want to ask you just to lift your hand and you can put it right back down with no one looking around. Just, just for you, you can put your hand up and then you can put it right back down. Awesome, awesome. Come on, all right, look up at me, guys. Here's what we're going to do now. We're going to pray. And typically, I don't ask you to repeat after me. Someday we might do that. But here's what I want for you is to have a conversation with God on your terms. Actually, it's his terms, right? But it's your words. It is, scripture says that if we believe in our heart and confess with our mouth, let that confession come from your heart, from your mouth, simply saying, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for what I've done. Thank you for loving me, for giving your life for me. I believe that you died for me. I wanna give my life to you, essentially is what you're saying. I give you my life. Guys, it's not all that you're going to say, but it's the start of a really good relationship and a lifelong conversation. And then for the rest of us, I'm going to pray that we would get back face-to-face with God so that his presence is flowing in our life, not just in, but through to those around us. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I just thank you. God, I thank you for your goodness and your mercies that are made new each and every single day. God, I thank you that... um, We can never be 
good enough for you to love us any more or bad enough to love us any less. And God, you saw the hands that were raised. And God, you know their names. You know their stories. God, all the days of their life, you've laid it out for them. And this day was even a part of that plan. And so God, let this encounter with you send them in a different direction. God, from the path that they were going on, God, your word says that we stand at the crossroads and ask for the old godly way. We walk in it. We find rest for our souls. And God, I pray that they find rest for their souls as they walk in your ways today, God. Your word says that all those who are in Christ are a new creation. All the old is gone. All things are made new. And so we declare that where there was shame and guilt, there is now joy and freedom. And God, help us just as your sons and daughters to walk in your presence, to spend time in your presence. And we just thank you for it in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen, amen, amen.